On today's episode, Telematic Space, why Google and Facebook owe you money, and a future where people still matter, with artist Jamie Hamilton. Yeah, yeah. I would say I'm definitely most interested in the worthless areas. Yeah. Yeah. my thesis. I am your host, Javier Proenza. Uh, every week, my guests and I share the answers we found to the questions we have. Join us as we explore and expand our worldview through research and ask, what's my thesis? Today, I have yet another guest, which is nice. Um, I'm still loving this thing where people do homework and come onto the show. Uh, Jamie Hamilton, who we met. Uh, how do we meet, Jamie? Through Made in, Through LA. Made in LA. Yeah. 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 So we've known each other for like, what? Three years now? Two years? Yeah, two years at least. Yeah, Yeah. two years, I'd say. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, So, all right. Should we jump into this? Yeah, let's... uh, Okay. My my favorite part of this is that I have no idea what you're going to tell me, so I'm so excited. What what do you remember me telling you of what I was going to do? Oh, I just... I didn't even try to make it register when you said you you were going to... Which you like oh, okay. when, so when you wrote back nothing. with the topic, I was like, "Oh, that's that's a it doesn't matter." <laughs> so, okay, so I don't care what the you topic don't even is. Remember the topic yeah, I brought yeah. before? You've totally outsourced all work here. Yes. Oh, you're getting <laughs> for it. this broadcast. <laughs> okay. Anyways, so um, so I'm just sort of talking about um, kind of the world and um, telematic space. So, do you know what telematic space is or what telematics no. are? So. Telematics are basically like long-distance communication, right, through media, which is sort of machines, essentially. And also, um, some definitions of telematics will talk about how it's uh, an entanglement or an interweaving of um, media information and also automation and various, like, vehicular systems like autonomous cars and all these things will uh, also be encompassed by sort of the um, field of telematics. Okay. Okay. So it's a, it's, would, would you call it a new industry? Um, I think it's, a, in a way, you could say its roots go back, like, a really quite a, quite a ways. Like, okay. you can say, like, the organ may have been the first form of automation in some ways. The like, organ? Yeah, like, like Jaron, yeah, like the pipe organ. Jaron okay. Lanier talks about these, like, early wind instruments that were sort of, like, um, very computational in the way they put together notes, and, and he also talks about in some lectures that are available on YouTube. And I don't know if there's, like, a comment section or something within the podcast where I can put some of the links that people oh, yeah, might be, be interested in, yeah, like, yeah, sure. you know, hearing from the sources, which speak on these things much yeah, more coherently and, and, and detailed. Up, yeah. Okay, yeah. So we can do that later in case people want to, you know, hear from the horse's mouth on some of these topics. But who are you? Who are you going to be your main sources? Or, so, or um, do you want to talk the about main sources? They, they yeah, I mean, up. I can talk about that, or um, or as they come up. You can yeah, I'll, I'll kind of introduce them as they come up. I mean, there's there's not a huge amount of them. It's about um, 
I see like five six books. or six. Or, yeah, I brought some of the books. Some of them are, were due back at the library. Um, so oh, they, okay. So they so went back. The so they're not here on the floor. I just figured like osmosis. If they're here on the floor, you'll they're next to me. It'll like help me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I, I can see that. Like, I'm, I'm superstitious. Like no, I, dude, I totally, I totally get that. <laughs> How matter <laughs> works. I'm pretty sure we don't have a complete understanding, so maybe it being next to me will help. So, Well, at, at the very least, seeing them will remind you of the stuff that you read, of right. the experience of them. Exactly. So if I suddenly like have to get up and open them randomly, uh, That's bear with me. Um, yeah, so, so the world in telematics, and kind of this idea that there is now... Um, an extremely complicated world of telematics that is arising and that it is it's different from the real world um you know these are not interchangeable things in in some ways like certain elements of cyberspace and all of that are are information um so they're not exactly the same thing as the real world yet they are all embedded in matter like Catherine Hales says one of the things that we tend to forget um is that all data, all information must be embedded in matter. Okay, you know, so we, it, we, there's we always start, a hard drive. Yeah, well, there's always a hard drive. There's always a server. From Like, there's this whole kind of ideology now, like, go green, right? Digital, mm-hmm. email, it's free, it's open. It's like, but no, it takes electricity. It takes server farms. You oh, know, that's right. Like, okay, as opposed like to the having real paper. hardware behind this yeah. stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, so that exists. And that, you know, right now, this, this telematic space and telematics is an enormous influence on culture. Okay. On, like, how cultures are traveling, how ideology is being formed, all of these things are going on. And um, so that brings us to, like, uh, some pretty interesting ideas, right? So we can look at the um, French philosopher Paul Virilio, who uh, kind of focused on technology and acceleration, Mm-hmm. And he kind of, one of his points is that every advance in technological progress is also potential for a new catastrophe, right? Yeah. So, you know, we're kind of on this idea of like between sort of this future, a knife-ed future where the technology that we kind of need and, and love can also be our own undoing, okay. right? And that... um Dan, Douglas Rushkoff, who's uh, another media philosopher, he he kind of um, talks about this notion that we're undergoing, we're in the middle of like this enormous shift, yeah. right? This enormous change, and yet we have very little understanding of what's going on. So <laughs> I'm kind of like, and now I'll sort of say, so so these are some of the things that I'm sort of thinking about, right? We're undergoing this huge shift that's connected to telematic space and what's unfolding in telematic space. And then, you know, I want to say, like, I'm not a historian. Yeah. I'm not a theorist. I'm an artist. Yeah. Right? So so I'm kind of situating my research from the perspective of an artist. And I'm going to say that, like, place, like, it's an interesting place to be, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Because in a sense, it's not really any place at all. It's sort of its own place, and it's very ill-defined in certain ways. But I'm well, going to say... It tends to also fall into, like, especially it, the role of the moral philosopher. Mm-hmm. But we're not... We don't have the rigor of, like, philosophy, 
per se. Yeah, I guess. You know, it's like a different, it's a different field, right? It's sort of a, I mean, it's hard really to define. So what I'm going to say is that, like, what I'm attempting to do here is to act as some form of enzyme. Okay. Right? That's like trying to break things down and make them digestible. All right. Okay. So is the idea of an enzyme sitting on my couch something that I should be grossed out by or not? Well, it's, it's, it's <laughs> like the idea that an enzyme is like a necessary thing for both okay. like creating, like being able to digest the food that you eat, like you rely on enzymes, okay. right? So but so you also thinking... rely on enzymes to break down toxins. Okay. So they're like these, this sort of two-part process in nature, in biology, in living life form. Okay. Enzymes are like um, fundamental to the ability to like get take in energy and matter so and you, get rid of toxins so yeah. you're talking you're thinking in terms of something that processes something yeah it's kind of a pro okay. but the funny thing is i didn't want to use the word process okay i'm glad that, because I'm glad i wrote that, that yeah. down and i scraped it out because it was like that sounds like what a computer has okay and i and i i think of as the artist as something outside of hopefully the programs okay. that are currently running like they're a little bit um uh, a, a little bit outside of their own time or like have some sort of quarrel with the way the world is at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so that you, you kind of want to be a little disobedient as an artist or a yeah. little mischievous in the yeah, way yeah. that you present points of views. So that's kind of like sort of where I'm coming from and what we're going to start talking about and, and we'll start kind of like focusing that because, of course, telematic space is enormous, right? Okay. So I'm going to introduce a philosopher by the name of Willem Flusser, and he was a Czech philosopher um, who lived in uh, Brazil for most of his life, and he had a daily newspaper column, and he's, he's actually not really known very much. Mm -hmm. But he wrote this really interesting book called Into the Telematic Universe, which is about essentially his theory that we are undergoing uh, a fundamental shift in how our consciousness perceives information or how language works or how we collectively communicate with one another. Okay. And he says this is the second fundamental shift that we've experienced in history as humans. Okay. The first being <clears throat> a move from prehistorical, pre-written language to written language. Right. This move from like oratory traditions to written text, historical based thinking. Okay. okay. Yeah, so yeah. you have this sort of mythical way of thinking. You may have somebody come and teach you and, and tell you stories of the past uh -huh. to a way where you can go into a library and you can read books written from the past okay. in the words that the authors wrote at that time. Right. Yeah essentially. Yeah. And, and so he says, you know, we're moving from, and within this written space, we have what you can think of as sort of an arrow of time, right? Mm -hmm. Language has an arrow of time. We read from right to left in English yeah. or from left to right, excuse me. And, you know, from top of page to bottom. And of course you can open any page on a book, but to co coherently understand it as the ideas were intended, yeah. you do have a unidirectional way of reading. Okay. okay? So he's saying, now, in this second revolution of how we think, we're moving into a structural way of thinking, okay. which is an ahistorical way of thinking, which he says occurred with the invention of the photograph. Okay. 
he says what happened with the photograph is suddenly we are presented with um, something that's sort of an imprint of reality, right? It's a oh. capturing of data, and that how we read it, it, it's not necessarily linear, it's structural. Our eye moves around. And he says a lot of stuff about it. But mm -hmm. this is kind of like one of the things that I'll bring before us now. And it's a really interesting book. It was written in, like, I think, 84. Okay. And he just, he talks about so many things that are going on right now with such foresight. It's remarkable. Wow. You know? And sort of the politics of it and how this this way of thinking will disperse us to ter to terminals and it will de-emphasize the body uh -huh. and we will become more and more um, just like fingers pushing buttons. And it's a really, really interesting take. And he, he basically starts to talk about the smart phone yeah, yeah. kind of idea, like that we will all be sharing these images of ourselves. And he says, you know, we face... We face kind of two, he, he kind of comes up with this dichotomy that can emerge. He's like, on one level, we're, we have the potential for this sort of like unbelievable innovation, connectivity, creativity. And on the other side, the potential for like unbearable oppression locked into unchangeable <laughs> patterns. Yeah. Right. And Definitely. he says, this is sort of like the double-edged sword that we're walking on right now. You know, that like Lanier says, you know, uh, if we the, think, this is Jaron Lanier. So let me introduce, 84? let me, so who I was just speaking of is Willem Flusser. Okay. okay. So he's the Czech philosopher. Okay. Really interesting kind of, I would say his, his writing is, is almost uh, really embedded in history. Like he goes through the definition of every word, the etymology of words, and, and sort of says, like, this is the cultural memory of our, of our understanding and how we form ideas. So it's very, like, sort of a deep time, really deeply thought out, very interesting thinker, very unique yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of writing. So I recommend that him. Amazing. Yeah, and he didn't write very much, and actually very little of it is translated. Of what he did write, I believe only two things are translated into English. Hmm into the technical universe. And I think the other one is just um, a paper, which into the technical universe is an expansion of, and I believe that's just called um, On Photography. Okay. I'll have to check on that. But yeah, that's what I remember it to be. So then, you know, this idea that we're, we're kind of facing potential in both directions, right? For like really emancipatory, wonderful sharing and creativity and innovation and then also just like total oppression, subjugation. Yeah. You know. Um, and so then Jaron Lanier, who is another um, media philosopher, I would say, he's also a musician and he was one of the pioneers of virtual reality okay. in like the 80s. Um, he would be like at SIGGRAPH in the 80s, uh, early 80s. And um, my parents actually were pretty interested in computer graphics at the time. So they, they're like, oh, yeah, we remember Jaron Lanier. He got like <laughs> lost in one of his virtual reality environments at SIGGRAPH. <laughs> so, so anyways, he's been in it a really long time. Did you, are your parents uh, native uh, New Mexicans? Uh, no, they're both from the East Coast. My okay. dad's from Montreal and my mom's from Philadelphia. But so they, they met in Philly and moved to New Mexico to kind of... Was that retirement or was that... No, that was like in the 70s to run away from like... Um, yeah, to, to, to kind of go back to the land and like make crazy architecture and art okay. and, and 
very ex- they fell they fell in love with the southwest yeah and I mean, and I the people it. they yeah. ran into and yeah, yeah, yeah. and i think santa fe like in the 70s and 80s was like really a remarkable place of all kinds of like creativity and uh-huh. science and all kinds of things it, it, it still is to some degree but it's also like um a place where people go to retire as you said yeah, yeah. you know so the demographic is older than it than it was then but yeah so so Jaron Lanier who um who has you know written some given some really interesting lectures and um the book that I I read is um called Who Owns the Future okay. um and apparently he was also author of You Are Not a Gadget, which I guess was a pretty popular <laughs> book, like 2011. It's a little okay. bit older book. I think it's 2014. Right. I think he has some new ones out. But as I can tell, he kind of has like a philosophy. Uh, you know, and so... Well, but th- just because these are old doesn't make them less fun to read about because they're probably more likely talking about right now. Or well, things that things that we can see... Absolutely. Manifesting Without being able to reference the examples of, like, recent history. That's, yeah. like, the only thing that he... He doesn't have, and Flusser obviously didn't have in 19... But Flusser, in a way, is but like... But it can seem kind of pro- uh, prophetic, or is oh, that even yeah. a word? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean... Well, and also when you know the, like, the kind of systemic structures of a system, you kind of have a sense of at least the potentials of, of what it will be, yeah. right? What it will turn into, right? Like, yeah, there yeah, are certain yeah. bias that are just inherent in the in the structure of something, you know? So you're like that car will probably drive on a road because it's a car, you know? So, um, yeah. So, I mean, he basically says, if we think of technology as just a power trip, we destroy ourselves. Imagine instead a transcendence through duty and creativity. So he has this wonderful idealism, um, (laughs) that I think is kind of, uh, embodied in a lot of the, the, the architecture of the internet and is also probably one of its biggest problems. Mm -hmm. Is this like idealism? So, in, in the sense of what it makes it less secure, or that is that it I sets mean, up um, just really fundamental problems. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure we'll get into them. Yeah, I mean, we can we can start talking about them if no, you no, want. No, 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 no. I but, don't want to mess with the But what I was sort of what I was sort of thinking about, and pretty soon, like I. Uh, We'll just go off the script. I just sort of have an introduction. No, no, and then dude, I don't figured, even worry well, about... You don't even have to explain. Okay. Go for it. Okay. Go for it. So... Like, I just... I'm curious, so I'm asking questions. But absolutely. if you want it... But you can always yeah. tell me... Yeah, and we'll get to that. And that's actually, yeah. like, one of the main things that I'm interested in discussing with okay. you today. Oh, yeah, yeah. Is, is that very thing. You know. Yeah, Hopefully that... We can we like, can do this, and I'll be able to sort of fluidly move with you as you start to ask questions. I well, the, I hope the, to I usually, be able to. Is usually, like if sometimes the uh, topic lends itself for me to be a little bit more silly, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. this is just dense or so, and then like this is dense, and then, and then I can always just like interject things, but yeah, yeah, a lot yeah. of the stuff that I interjected is from an episode that's from another episode. So I'd right. rather just like let you go right, without right. me sort of bringing it back to my topic. So that's mostly totally I'm just fine. like listening. Yeah. Yeah. And we're still, I'm trying to still kind of lay out a coherent framework yeah, and kind of like draw a boundary because this stuff is so huge. Yeah. Um, and I am uh, really of no help for a lot of it, but I, but I do from reading these couple of books have sort of a, a framework of which I mm-hmm. can, 
I can kind of um, critique and present potentially some ideas of how we can move forward in a way that we don't commit mutual suicide <laughs> right yeah that <laughs> so, seems that, that, ha- that it has seems be- like relevant <laughs> no and it seems to be a recurring theme in, yeah, in, yeah. in this show <laughs> yeah exactly well because we there's are there's a lot of there, there's a lot of yeah. that on the verge <laughs> yeah I mean we are at a point in history where I think we need to uh, to really um, take a moment and figure out where we want where well, we want to go. Here's a statistic that I saw. Uh, I don't even know what the source is for this, uh-huh. but that by uh, 2080, it'll be so hot that people will just start to die. In like, I know, mean, I believe it. Yeah, like, I don't. I, I you know, like we right won't now. be able to live here anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for yeah, instance, yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So all that property, guys. I know. You better You better sell it before 20, 2080. <laughs> right. And what will we will all be like with the penguins? Yeah. <laughs> they'll be dead. Like they'll need and we'll air be living in like oh Florida God. in Antarctica. <laughs> it's, yeah. I mean, who even knows that idea of like yeah, predicting mm. a future. I I just hope that we have a future to predict. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of Yeah. So I wouldn't worry so much about the planet. <laughs> the planet'll be fine. There'll be like extremophile bacteria that'll be like sucking on the plastic heap soon enough eating yeah. it. Um yeah, so okay, so we're undergoing this like fundamental restructuring of how we think. And um Felicia says, unfortunately we're basically illiterate. Okay. Right now. In this in this yeah, that we just we can't you know, really tell what's going on. Douglas Rushkoff basically says the same thing. He says we're un- um, we're undergoing this enormous shift, and we have very little idea of what's going on. Um, I and, and I can that. bring examples of that from like mainstream media, where okay. there's just full on like misunderstanding of the structures of the internet, which yeah. I have brought, which are kind of interesting to look at, but we cool. need to sort of like first understand what the internet is and then we can critique yeah, that. Absolutely. So, um, so we're going to kind of jump into a little bit of, um, Douglas Rushkoff, which, uh, he talks about kind of the bias of technology, right? Uh-huh. And so I'm going to like work with two things here. I'm going to talk about a camera and a gun. Okay. Okay, so you can use, and you're a photographer, so, mm. you know, you, you understand that, like, a camera is biased towards taking pictures. Yes. With either film or a sensor, depending on what yeah. type of camera it is, right? Uh-huh. And that, within that world, you have all these sort of choices of different variables, film speeds, and lens focus, and f-stops, and all those sorts of things, right? Uh-huh. So there is a sort of a program within it that, you know, bias towards making pictures. Yeah, yeah. Right, so it's a kind of an assemblage of technologies that make this picture. Now, of course, one can use a camera as a piece of decoration, right? Uh-huh. Or one could theoretically use it as uh, a hammer if one was very, very gentle, but it makes a shitty hammer. Like, yeah, you yeah. can't really hammer very well with a camera unless you destroy it, yeah. right? Although decoration is very popular. Decoration <laughs> is really popular, but that's not what it's intended. why, yeah. you know, um, Sinar made a camera yeah, was yeah. for it to sit in someone's home. They made it to take pictures. Yeah. So, um, you know, then we can talk about the... Uh, well, the gun also gets displayed a lot. The too. gun. So, so, like, this is a little bit where, you know, I feel like we have a cultural disconnect from reality. Like, you know, this argument that's used by the NRA saying that it's not guns that kill people, mm-hmm. but people who pull their trigger, mm-hmm. right? 
And, and I'd say, okay, sure, but this argument ignores the obvious bias of guns' lineage as an assemblage of technological innovations which were designed for the explicit purpose of killing. Yes. Right. Or at, so, least, at the very least, maiming. <laughs> it's a, it's yeah, but, not. It's I mean, not for. It's not, there's no non-violent use when you pull the trigger. No, I mean you're, that, that's what they say. And whenever you buy a gun and you read the manual, it's like mm-hmm. never point the gun at anything yeah. that you do not wish to destroy. Yeah, right. Exactly. I mean, it's like really fundamental. So, um, anyways, so those are kind of like some of the bias that technology just sort of introduced on a structural level, and. So we can say, like, maybe that's not the best news for guns, right, in our culture. And you can see that when you look at gun statistics. Yes. And, you, and when you look at how the NRA is, like, throwing enormous amounts of money into suppressing um, studies on gun violence. Yeah. But with the Internet, it's kind of a different story. Because if you really look at, like, what is the bias of the Internet... Um, Rushkoff says it's actually towards contact. Okay. You know, so the history of the internet you have in like 1969, that moment when UCLA or SRI, which I think is Stanford Research Institute, sent like basically a couple letters between two computer terminals. And it was like this idea of just a ping, like a simple mm-hmm. ping, like, did you get this thing? Were they, was this the first network or the first? This was the first time I believe that like a computer communicated with a remote location. Okay. Right? Like it, there may have been communications before within like the same floor or something. Yeah, yeah, But as I understand it, it was the first time that like there was like a sort of long distance networked communication. And so this, this came out of um, ARPA which is, was a branch of the military, the Advanced Research Project Administration, I believe it is, or agency. And um, they were essentially looking for a communication device that was robust in an emergency, mm-hmm. right? So, like, if you think of a tree, right? A tree is very hierarchical. You have all the leaves, and then you have the branches, and they all come down to a trunk. Now, all it takes to take out a tree is really, like, a singular yeah. gesture with a chainsaw, yeah. and that tree is gone. Now think of like clump or rhizome-style bamboo, right? Mm. That stuff is hard, hard, hard to get rid of. Okay. Like if you have to tear up bamboo, because it's all these, it's like a network of roots, and there's no like localization mm-hmm. of where like all the nutrients come through, this single point. Okay. So the military was basically saying like, we're in the Cold War. If there's a giant nuclear disaster, the phone network, the nail networks, they're both very hierarchical. We want a very robust communication structure that is more like a net, where if you tear a net, yes, the net is slightly weaker, but there's a lot of fibers that are interwoven yeah. that will carry the load still. They'll be loaded yeah. slightly more, but the, still the net won't fail with well, a when, single fiber break. And that's the whole appeal of the whole thing is that you could never take down the internet when it, that was right. like the selling point when, right you know, oh my god this thing is amazing you can't right. take it down exactly so arpa was really interested in that and i i didn't do a whole bunch of history but um you know when people get these sort of paranoid things like well but it's got a military pedigree or something i think basically the military then gave it away like yeah. they got what they wanted mm-hmm. and they got the infrastructure they wanted and then there was all this net sort of left over yeah 
we're scientists. We're basically like writing emails back and forth. <laughs> and and so this brings us to how sinister. <laughs> like a bunch I know, of right? So sin- like <laughs> yeah, like sharing information about. <laughs> hey, look like at this article. Research and and innovation. Well, it's so funny. I mean, you can read sort of about the the early internet history, but there is this guy um, called Tel- Ted Nelson who was a, a computer scientist, and he's, he's also sort of described as a mystic and also one of these people that nobody knows about but everybody should know about because okay. he's so fundamental. Yeah, so, yeah. so he was the person who invented hypertext and hyperlinks. So he kind of foresees this, and he realizes that, like, like any good library, you're going to need a way to get to these volumes and all this information. Yeah. So he invents this hypertext. But he also proposes a third thing, which is totally ignored, which is that every piece of information should have a provenance from where it came. Mm-hmm. Okay? So that it's not just this random floating thing that you have no idea what it is and where it came from. Oh, okay. So this is where the this idealism... This is fundamental. Is this where the idealism sort of... This is where they get- just... Get, b- becomes cor- corruptible. <clears throat> this is where Lanier says they made a fundamental fuck up. Yeah. Uh, oops, sorry, I don't know if we yeah, can say that. Oh, a on. fundamental yeah, you totally misjudgment yeah, yeah. in the design of the early net. Mm-hmm. They were trying to streamline it and make it simple, and this added more information to every. It added it added more linking, right? Like mm-hmm. if you have a provenance for where something comes from. There's just more information attached to this data point yeah. or whatever you want to call it, right? So they said, well, we don't really need that. Yeah. But interestingly enough, anything that's of value, right, has to have some sort of provenance, right? Yeah. Like, even if you're buying a used car, you know which company made that car. Yeah. Right? When you go into the car, you can open it up and you can say, okay, that's a Bosch alternator. That came from Bosch. That yeah, came yeah. from all these things. Unfortunately, what's happened now, because Ted Nelson's idea of this, the genesis of it, the genetic code of the information being ignored, you have no idea where anything is coming from on the internet. Oh, okay. I thought, I thought you were going a different way. So, right. So they, said, so they discarded that idea. They of, discarded that okay. idea. They just ignored him. And he was like, this is a fundamental betrayal of, of truth, yeah, essentially. Yeah. You know, because yeah, now there's no accountability. Now you have no idea. You have no idea. You know, Um, yeah. Well, and also you have information is now being evaluated, you know, at the tens of billions of dollars by investment banking. But there is absolutely zero provenance for it. So that's sort of like unprecedented, I believe. I mean, Mm. I'm not an economist, but the idea that something is so valuable with zero provenance, you don't even really know what it is. Yeah. In fact, maybe like very big impact. Maybe it's better that they don't know what it is. I mean, I don't know, but it does seem problematic. Yeah. It does seem really problematic. Um, so that's sort of like my introduction, Okay. you know, that I kind of came with and what I want to kind of talk about is this idea that the internet is biased towards contact. There are some like fundamental flaws with how the internet does work, Mm -hmm. but 
there's a little bit of like now we can kind of branch off in all these different directions like there are these things that we can talk about which are called sort of siren servers which we can call right now like the current ones on offer are like facebook and google are the really biggest ones yeah siren servers so you know that's one of the things that we we can start to talk about they um Essentially, and this is a term that Jaron Lanier comes up with, is that they are um, the aggregators okay. of information on the Internet. And so what they basically do is they, they, by their power, their computational power and the fact that they are hiring the best programmers and they are the kind of conduit to which all this information flows, they draw all this information to them, right? Mm-hmm. And... At the same time, essentially, they are radiating out all the risk and all the expense out into the society, right? Like when you sign up to use Facebook, you have these terms and conditions, right? That basically say Facebook isn't responsible for anything that goes on, essentially, on <laughs> okay. Facebook. I mean, I, I haven't read them. I'm not on Facebook anymore, yeah. but... Essentially, they, they are not like, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> it was hard. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I don't even use that shit and I still yeah. can't. Now, like, currently, I, I have to try and get off Instagram, which oh. is a, with a frightening proposition as a, like an emerging artist. It's yeah. always Definitely. Like just trying to find, yeah, venues and options. But anyways, yeah, so, so there's this very... Um, kind of like I mean there are all these sort of frightening um, things that come from this way of um, treating information right Mm -hmm. by giving it to these private sources and what Lanier basically says is these things are not cheap to run like running these gigantic servers and all of these bots that are going through and they're aggregating all the data and they're making some sort of coherence out of the world wide web right Mm -hmm. requires like tons of programming tons of energy right to run these things i mean like enormous amounts of energy you can look at actual like global telecommunication energy consumption Mm -hmm. it's major it's like a big part of the energy pie at this point Uh Um, and so there is an expense and then embedded in the early idealism of the net was that this shit should all be free. Mm-hmm. We should be able to have free information. We should be able to have free conversation. We should be able to have free contact, right? Yeah. No that, one will pay for this. This will be a new, you know, utopian world of And that every sharing. piece of information is equal in... in every in, piece of information is equal. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, all these ideas. But as Catherine Hales tells us, there is always a body to this information somewhere in the world. And that body needs to be fed electricity. Uh-huh. And it needs to be cooled down. And it needs to be maintained. And it needs to be programmed. Wow. You know? So... What's going on right now is essentially you have these platforms like Google and like Facebook, which are aggregating a large majority of people's information flows, Uh right? And to fund this, they are essentially using advertising, right? Yeah. That's the only means to funding because the users of it 
are not, not paying pay, for the service, yeah. right? They, like they wouldn't pay we don't pay anything. like, you know, a tenth of a cent for every Google search or yeah. whatever it costs to do a Google search. Yeah. Instead, an advertiser pays for us to do a Google search. Yeah. And by doing, the advertiser expects some return on their investment. So essentially what we've set up is through this idea of a free web is that you and I may be trying to communicate on the internet, right? Yeah. Or, or somehow interface in some way. And our communication and our interface is being financed by a, by a third party who wishes to manipulate us. <laughs> I get right? you. Yeah. Right? Like that's, that's sort of fundamentally um, problematic. Absolutely. For a democracy, especially, yeah. in particular. Well, yeah. yeah. Without getting into too, too Without, much stuff. Without, like, going stuff, yeah. into, like, the whole giant universe that that, yeah. like, idea opens up. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, essentially. So, we have this fundamental, like, kind of manipulation that's going on. And then we have this sort of, like, collective misunderstanding about what these things are. So I'm going to pull up um, just an article here um, by Matt Tabai called Can We Be Saved from Facebook? By um, Matt Tabai? Fr- um, Tabai, I guess? Tabai? Tabai, yeah. Tabai, Matt Tabai. sorry. He wrote uh, an, a quite a good article, but there are some points that are kind of interesting in it. And so he says, um, the world seems to simultaneously be denouncing the company for having meddled with an election. And demanding that it meddle more responsibly in the future, <laughs> right? <laughs> Which is kind of true, right? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly... Well, they're yeah. not even talking about regulating it. They're yeah. just like, you yeah. need to be more responsible, Mr. Zuckerberg. Right. But they all bow down but to they his, don't, like... Because they don't actually even know what it is... Yeah. He does. I remember, I can't remember which uh, senator it was, but he, he was actually asking, like, how does Facebook make money? Yeah. He, like, actually didn't even understand the uh. business um, of Facebook, what, what it was that he might have to regulate. He didn't even... So it's, like, just yeah. quite astounding, actually, ignorance yes. on the part of legislators of what the landscape that they... is now an enormous economy. Yeah. So, so that's, um, yeah, so that's what you're talking yeah, about. Speaking yeah, about, so yeah. do you, uh, so then we have, um, which, so here's another quote from the article. And this is where, you know, I will say that we're, we're sort of like misunderstanding the reality of these structures that yeah. are here. Which brings us back to Facebook, which to this day seems to, at best, dimly understand how the news business works, as is evident in its longstanding insistence that it's not a media company, mm-hmm. which is true. Facebook is not a media company. It is an advertising company. Yeah. It is an aggregator of internet information. Okay? So, do, but do we seem that? to think of it as a news company because yeah. we think of it as a newspaper. Mm-hmm. We go to it. But Facebook, very distinctly, in its terms and conditions, will tell you, I am not responsible for the content. Mm-hmm. The New York Times will say, we are responsible for the content yeah. in the New York Times. Which it's <laughs> questionable how responsible not, they are. <laughs> right. But they are. Yeah. But if they slander yeah. someone yeah, falsely and they yeah. ruin their career, they can be sued. Yeah. yeah. Facebook cannot. Yeah. Oh, shit. If Facebook throws an election because of Russian hacking, buying advertising space on Facebook, they're covered in their terms and conditions. Yeah. 
I mean, if anyone ever reads them, which they don't. So, like, practically, they don't even really exist in a way. Yeah. Because nobody reads those things. I mean, I don't even know how many, like, lawyers have actually read that. But, but anyways. They, isn't the point of them that they, exi- they don't exist until you go to court? Then they become very real. Then they become real. And then you yeah. find out you have absolutely no commensurate yeah. rights as a user yeah. of Facebook. That oh. you have basically signed away any protection that you might have had. So, so this is a Rolling Stone, right? <clears throat> and then he goes on to quote um, or to reference a Wired. Wired was even inspired to publish a, a sarcastic self-help quiz for Facebook execs on how to tell if you're a media company. It includes such questions as, are you the country's largest source of news? Well, it's not a source of news. Yeah, it's an aggregate. It's a channel yeah. by which information flows. It's like okay. a bulletin board of, of news. But these are pretty major like media organizations fundamentally missing the point of what's going on. Like fundamentally not understanding the architecture landscape. So wait, how are sorry, how are the media companies the ones that are doing that? And it's like re-explain it to me. So basically Facebook is an aggregator. It's yeah. a channel that's funded by advertisers who um curate through, through Facebook's um, Facebook's uh, framework that it presents to the user is curated in such a way that it can sell that mm-hmm. to advertisers saying we can pinpoint somebody who's going to buy a car in the next three months and we can put advertisements in front of them. And that's so we can pinpoint intense, somebody man. who's insecure about their appearance and we can put yeah. Uh, cosmetic advertises in front of it. And they say all these things. Now, whether or not they actually can, because they can't even tell if somebody's like a Ukrainian hacker or mm-hmm. someone from Florida, is something to be, you know, argued, right? Mm-hmm. But But that's what they tell their advertisers. And that's what they sell to their advertisers, this sort of surgical insertion of information into what they would say are, are people who are sort of receptive. Like a, a, a female mammal is like only receptive to sperm at a certain time, right? Okay. So like, <laughs> so like if, you're, if you're like trying to inseminate a cow all the time, it's useless. And that's what you could think of as like uh, television advertising or, mm-hmm. or newspaper advertising. We all get the same ads all yeah. the time, right? Yeah. But but Facebook would say to the people who are trying to advertise on it, we can know when that cow is ovulating so you don't waste all this sperm. <laughs> because we can tell what they're talking about with all their friends yeah, and we yeah, can yeah. figure out sort of their political beliefs and all which is true, man. Yeah. I mean if oh, you think yeah. about Facebook, there's so much information. Yeah. So so they sell that to advertisers and say, Here, you know, here it is and, and they can put you right into the feed. They can put you right into the feed as if you were almost news or something and just mm-hmm. a little sponsored. I don't know how small the sponsored label has gotten now or whatever yeah. is used to demarcate it from like not being one of your friends or whatever. So, yeah. you know, I'm not up on the current. Yeah, no, I'm not I haven't on been on it for a couple of years. Yeah. But anyways, oh, good for you, man. Well, I mean, I have one. I have a page for the for the show. Yeah. And, but I basically um, which is smart exclusive, exclusively on uh, Instagram. So so to get back to that. So that's Facebook, right? It, yeah. It's not. It doesn't generate content. It generates a scaffold for content. Yeah. 
right? Yeah, yeah, and totally, then totally. and then advertisers put content and people put content. Mm. But it does get all the revenue from both sides, yeah. <laughs> which is also something that we'll get to this huge problem of how the siren servers suck in all this money and radiate out all this risk. Yeah. And that is the way to destroy an economy. Okay. So anyways, we'll go back to the, um, the article from Rolling Stone, which brings us back to Facebook, which it seems best to dimly understand how the news business works, as is evidence in the longstanding insistence that it's not a media company. Which is true, it's not a media company. The news business actually doesn't understand what Facebook is. And they still keep using it as if it was. uh, Because they see it as a competitor. Yeah. Because it's stealing all their advertising. So they think it's the same thing they are, but it's this new, like, form. Yeah. That they don't yet know what it is. I mean, and this is Rolling Stone and Wired. You know, and Wired is is publishing the sadistic, or sarcastic, rather, self-help quiz for Facebook execs on how to tell if you're a media company, including are you the country's largest source of news? And once again, it's not a source of news. It is a news delivery service. Mm -hmm. It's a new way of delivering a service. Yeah. And those are... These are pretty big big, deal publications to be fundamentally missing. Especially for Matt Taibbi to be missing it a little bit because he's he's somewhat of a name in 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 and and usually very well respected, but Mm -hmm. that's an interesting yeah. Catch on your... Um, yeah. Did you catch that? Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, no, because I've just been reading all these things, and yeah, I've yeah. been... Well, but I, I also want of, you to have credit for it, because yeah, that's a pretty yeah, good thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I did. So, you know, and the answer is a astounding yes, he says. An astounding 45% of Americans get their news from Facebook. Well, yeah. I will replace that with an astounding 45% of Americans get their news through Facebook. Yeah. Which is... A very, very important distinction, yeah. but very subtle. And, and add Google, and above 70% of Americans get, is written here, but I will say through, you know, mm-hmm. their news from the pair of outlets. So 70% of Americans are using these aggregators, um, which are uh, attempting to manipulate them on advertisers' dollars, um, to get information, yeah, you know, and they're simply like it's not really that Facebook and Google are evil; they're just trying to to deal with their costs, yeah, and make a ton of money at the same time, which is like the corporate thing, right? Well, I, yeah, I think that you know, wasn't there a period where Mark Zuckerberg had to sort of justify how he was going to make money because he, right. he it's yeah. it's almost like yeah. they had the user base first. Yeah. Yeah. And then they were like, well, shit, now we're going to... was it This when they is went something yeah. valuable, but how yeah. is how it do, valuable? How is it valuable? Exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. new. Even yeah. they didn't fully understand yeah. what they were. Yeah. But, and then it also reminds me about the... Like, I think after Facebook uh, and people started to get a little sick of it, there were uh, news aggregators that were more... Like, I think there's one called... Uh, Flipbook or some shit like yeah, that. Yeah, I just saw well, this recently. And, and, yeah, and Apple mm-hmm. has one that mm-hmm. I, that's installed on all of their phones, um, and and so. But I think that the reason that those don't don't resonate with people, mm-hmm. the, the the aggregation by way of your social circle mm-hmm. is is uh, is is the thing that really makes it a niche thing for for Facebook, and I think mm-hmm. Google also has ways with that their algorithms will show you things that you are more likely 
Or, you know, yeah. like, there's there's that whole argument about how you are uh, uh, in a, your own bubble algorithmically. Well, and this is where we get to the fact that they are designing these technologies so that you are drawn to them. Like an addict is drawn to um, the drug they're addicted to. Yeah. You know, and this is done through basically, like, Pavlovian, you know, the... Pavlovian conditioning has existed for a while. They've known that, like, rats, they can ring a bell and the rat will go to a thing to get food. Or, you know, you can get a rat addicted to cocaine. But the funny thing about it is, like, Pavlovian conditioning only works if it's a little bit of a randomness. Yes. It it can't be consistent. It can't be totally consistent because then it's not interesting or exciting. Like, it has to have a little bit of a randomness. So That's why gambling, that's why slot machines work. Yeah, right. Because you never payday. And actually, social media is very much the same thing. Like, as opposed to pulling a lever, you're scrolling down and you're seeing what's popping up. Do you ever get scroll fatigue anymore? And now that you're not on Facebook, but like, I think even on the phones with Instagram. There's a point, or, and, and, or like, I, I do like Reddit quite a bit. Uh-huh. I get called out on that by, by mm-hmm. people because they're like... I don't spend any time on it, so I can't Yeah, it's <laughs> just a any. bunch of serotonin, uh, like, triggers. Right. Like, you know? Right. But, but And as point, it's designed to be. Yeah. As it's designed to but be. But there's a yeah. point where it just stops working, and I'm just like, I'm still addicted You've to like scrolling. You've, like, depleted wanna, your yeah. gland. Your glands yeah, exactly. are, like, fully... It's, like, oversexed or something where you're like, I can't have any more sex. Empty. <laughs> There's nothing left. <laughs> I feel depressed. Yes. <laughs> that, but I don't know that that's ever happened with sex. I think it's mostly masturbation that leads to those feelings for me. <laughs> I guess yeah. it can be any realm of that. Yeah, yeah. but like, or yeah. So, so like paired with like manipulation and kind of like designed to be addictive. You can now, like, find, um, and I didn't bring any before me, but I should have, like, public proclamations of of people from Silicon Valley being like, yeah, I don't let my kids anywhere near social media. Like, the designers of these platforms, the architects, it would be like a person who designs a bridge being like, I don't drive across that bridge. I don't (laughs) let anybody I love go across that bridge. That bridge is not a good bridge to cross. Like, don't. Use that bridge. Yes. <laughs> if you That's care actually about yourself. Na- yeah. You know. I was like, the, I, I, my analogy was going to be cigarette smoking, but that's a better analogy. Yeah. I mean, so it's just, um, it's something that we're going to have to deal with if we want to um, have democracies actually function. But I don't think they do want that. Well, we can get into that argument. Like, I mean, I don't want to devolve from you, but I think a better premise to start is that we all do want that. Yeah, no, that's fair. Like, we actually, I think, as people, do want a sense of fairness in the world and a sense of justice to be like an overriding. Well, I think uh, that there's a little bit of a a framework. I think there's a fear. Of I don't and I don't think it's impossible at all. I'm mm-hmm. not like a nascent, mm-hmm. but I think there is a. Well, fear. it probably is impossible, but we can at least believe in the impossible. I mean, that's well. how you like break a record, right? Yeah. As an athlete, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Like the four minute, <laughs> or mile. you end up in the moon, you know, and planting yeah. a flag, whatever. No, but I definitely I think that there is. I mean, because that's why you get things like like I know that. From the from Verizon's standpoint, net mm-hmm. neutrality destruction is good for them financially. But I think from a corporate standpoint, then it centralizes 
the people you have to negotiate for control. But but that's just really short term shit. No, like, I, in the I, long yeah, game, yeah, yeah. this destroys everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like no, this, and, yeah, and, and that's yeah. The very short. Exactly. Yeah. But I'm saying, and and I'm saying. I don't think that I maybe to some degree that decentralization of the information also, or, or sorry, the the fact that it's not necessarily always traceable will bring because there was uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the whole th- thing that uh, Sabu mm. um, was compromised before Occupy Wall Street happened, mm-hmm. and so Occupy Wall Street was all kind of and working. what is Sabu? Can Sa- you- oh, sorry, Sabu is from uh, is the guy that was compromised from um, Anonymous. That came. Oh, down. he was a hacker. He was a hacker. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. so they had him, and I, this is not yeah. to badmouth him at all. Right. You right. Know, you right. don't know these people fuck with you. Right. Like, for right. real. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. You, you never know, and yeah. I don't want to disrespect. Well, and actually, yeah, it's his a... situation. But basically, there's this documentary called Hacker Wars, which I've mentioned before on the show, where they say that essentially what happened was that. Um, The FBI were the ones who sort of got Sabu, by way of mm-hmm. Sabu, got Occupy Wall Street to happen right. with a little bit of agitation. Mm-hmm. And so it mm-hmm. was, so it, 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 it's interesting. So right now there's a bit of a resistance from people to get involved. But once gener- like a, a generation of hackers forgets, then there's no telling what will happen. You know, right. right. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that actually brings us to a really inter- some really interesting quotes um, by Douglas Roofcroft. Uh, Rushkoff, sorry, mm-hmm. where he says, you know, I mean, he talks about exactly what you're saying now. Like, programming is essential for the ability to take part in a digital age. One not, one must not just use the tools created by a techno elite, you know? Yeah. And and he says, basically, you know, we do not know how to program our computers. Now that he's saying that the majority of us do yeah. not. And, and that's kind yeah. of the dream of Apple to right. make, make no. techno... No, actually, this is where it's very different because a user and a programmer is different. Okay. Right? It, Apple is creating users. Yeah. What what um, Rushkoff is talking about is creating programmers. No, I'm right? saying that, that Apple is sort of like making... The original a, you, dream, the, maybe. No, I think Apple would be sort of the uh, creating users that are not necessarily educated. Right, which right. would be the complaint that Android users have, and mm-hmm. and, and I'm not disparaging mm-hmm. anyone. I fucking, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I'm a victim as much as an accuser. Right. But right. but but I'm saying like that 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 sort of uh, model of like making what the dream was originally that that Steve Jobs wanted to make computing like a toaster oven, like just another fucking appliance, right. and he accomplished that, right? right? But at the same time, now none of us really know how our iPhones work, right? Right. They become these opaque boxes where we participate in what is given to us. And actually, yeah. the first thing you do when you buy an iPhone... I was at the Apple store the other day getting my logic board diagnosed as dead, mm-hmm. um, officially, <laughs> which, I, which I was like, I think my logic board died. They're like, nah, it's a... Oh, yeah, you're lying. <laughs> Did you have to pay for that? No. Okay. I, it's actually getting fixed up the street for 200 bucks by this like <laughs> mad scientist guy who's like... It's a computer okay. repair place, and he's like, um, 
I mean, it, it feels like maybe he escaped from like Foxconn <laughs> with like the plans. <laughs> and like, he's like, he showed me, it's the most beautiful thing. He has this microscope and he showed me how he solders. He took one chip from one board and put it on another. And I was oh, just shit. like, wow, this is beautiful. Soldering is really nice. Oh my God. It's like, it's like um, being inside the matrix. Yeah. Well, I have felt you, like I was in the matrix for a moment. It's you know? so sweet. Like, just like t- the, the idea of melting metal on such a, with well, such ease is oh, so and satisfying, and, and it this, falls into that little hole. He took this little cube that was an eighth of an inch, probably mm-hmm. square, or not even a cube, like a flat rectangle, but that's an eighth of an inch in each direction, which is pretty small, with tweezers. And I think it had probably like ten connections on each side of Whoa. it, right? And with a pair of tweezers and a heat gun, which must get really hot, I guess, mm-hmm. lifted it off one board and then put it on the other board and heated it up, and you literally saw... The, um, the connections become fluid, and through the sort of surface tension of the fluidity, it kind of pulled the chip oh, yeah, yeah, onto yeah, the yeah, contacts yeah, yeah. and, like, square up perfectly to this, like, oh, you so know, satisfying. sort of divine architecture of the chipboard. And he's like, see, it's totally easy. He's like, well, except you need all the, <laughs> schematics. You know, the schematics <laughs> yeah, to yeah. tell you what part's gone, which are probably, like, top secret, guarded by Apple. Like, they'll probably assassinate <laughs> people who... No, no, that's conspiracy stuff. But anyway, so um, we were talking about um, the difference between being a programmer and a user, mm-hmm. right? And this idea that we've become users, and the and going back to the Apple, that before that digression, like in the Apple Store, the very first thing you need to do to make your phone not just turn immediately into a brick mm-hmm. is you need to sign um, the uh, services. Yeah, you know. So you, you just, like, agree to this thing that you don't read, yeah. right, of this giant company that's super profitable. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, isn't Apple the richest company in the world still? I think so. I think yeah. it still is. Yeah. yeah. Which is not surprising. No. And they then, fucking... They oh, change. man. And you go into that story and you're just like, oh, this is infantilizing. It's yeah. just like posters of people who look like they're <laughs> tripping, yeah. basically. But it well, would be better if they were it tripping. It is still... Because <laughs> you'd get some cultural <laughs> criticism from psychedelics. <laughs> no, but what I, what I really... It, it still blows my mind how easy it is to drop like $2,000 in that store. I, how, I, how, that's why you, I you just... You go in... I wouldn't and, do it. And within, within five seconds... It's called... You Wealth extraction. Oh, it's it's so it is. It's basically the like in a, in a world where Amazon was destroying retail. Yeah, like they just fucking nailed it. Where you could just go to a place and it wouldn't be a hassle, and you could just drop so much money in like nothing, dude. I know. For and a- and you drop so much money, and they still kind of like. You don't have any commensurate rights, really. Yeah. Ultimately. Yeah, you like you're you're stuck with them yeah. and what they've decided for you. Well, it's because one, one of the it's things very that, uneven that's been coming up for me is that it also like this whole user programmer creates mm-hmm. a class of society yeah. which we know like that's what San Francisco is right exactly, now. and that's yeah. what Rushkoff is saying. Oh, like yeah. we must be, and that's sort of what you're saying. Like the hackers and yeah. um, Gary Levink, who wrote this uh, book called Dark Fiber, says. Unfortunately, it seems that the hackers are not actually um, effective at regulating this sort of, like, techno elite that's evolving. Like, that was the hope, right? That the hackers would kind of, like, 
uh, rain in the uh, wealth and power well, concentration. They're so punitive that the when they fucking catch these people, you know, and that's why you can't I really mean, blame Sabu for fucking for what he did. They were yeah, going to destroy his I life, mean, and it's just not worth it at some point, you know. Mm. Well, instead, they just hire them. Yeah. They're like, you know, when you're the emperor and you have a martial arts expert who's undefeatable, the smartest thing to do is just offer him more money than anybody else. Yeah, exactly. And then he's on your team. Yeah. You know, and then if you play your cards right, you can influence his actions to your will. And that's what these giant corporations are doing now. Yeah. Like, why would you do something illegal where you risk spending the rest of your life in a federal prison? When you can instead have, a, like, a bomb-ass apartment in downtown San Francisco. Yeah. And, and, I mean, and then you have your own shuttle that takes you to your yeah. own fucking work. And, you, and then you oh, go out to work and, and you then go there's out a chef. The Invictus cruise vessel. <laughs> and, and they bring you out. And, yeah. But that, and that sort and of... you sell your but soul. But that makes to, it... Makes, I don't know. Are you, are you familiar with... Not to digress too much, but are yeah. you familiar with... Uh, the work of Neil Stevenson. No. Okay. No. Oh, Sorry. dude, you you have some fucking fun ahead of you because <laughs> he's one of my favorite authors, if uh -huh. not if not uh -huh. my favorite. It's he's a sci-fi guy, but he also does historical fiction, which is maybe some uh -huh. of my best, my favorite stuff. Uh -huh. um, but so he talks. Um, he, he I actually the first time that he came to my mind was when you were talking about the organ, because in the Cryptonomicon mm -hmm. he has a whole thing describing about it, like uh, how. Somebody was it like one of the characters in the book. I think it's one of the fictionals, the characters, not the the the, the real people from history, but uh, figures out computers by working with organs. And oh, interesting. You know, and so now yeah. you're saying that it's part. They, they, it would be the part first part of kind the, of part of the lineage that computers the, came from. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yes. But what was it? You, you brought it up in terms of the uh, te uh, telemetric, te telematics, Telemetic. well, and automation. Telematic this idea automation. that you could you could pull a plug and multi, you know, like multiple on an organ, you get a cord or something. You yeah. Know, that 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 one press of a button is uh, results in multiple multiple parts being actuated or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Yeah, so, like early forms of automation. But what? It, okay, so you really will enjoy this guy's work because it, it is all in this uh, realm. But mm -hmm. especially his his sci-fi is really good. Mm -hmm. uh, he has a book called Snow Crash, mm -hmm. which has to do with the metaverse, which mm -hmm. is a virtual reality, real place where there's real estate. Mm -hmm. Right, and so it's a consistent like actual virtual world where you can buy a plot of land mm -hmm. and. Now that's where this your is a house little like Second Life, right? Yeah, it's a little yeah. Second Lifey. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Which actually Jaron Lanier found really interesting. This yeah. idea of like building a world together, collect. Well, well, he's a virtual reality guy, so. Well, Zuckerberg wants to make it now. Right, and own it. <laughs> and own it. Yeah. Uh, uh, but then also one of the things that he writes about is this future in which people are sort of citizens of mm -hmm. different corporations and mm -hmm. i think that that you know like well so, that's what it feels yeah. like well, might exactly, happen yeah. like with universal basic income like the yeah. government is now in a trade war with the only entity that kept it solvent which was china yeah you know but so now we're fighting china which was bankrolling their paychecks yes you know so well, and then we also like, have the the issues with the petrodollar where like 
Is it, it, uh, mean, Arabic countries are deciding to sell their oil in in um, denominations other than the, the dollar. Right. Of so course. we're at war with them so that they won't fucking do that. Right. Because our money's backed by nothing other than oil. And and the Chinese. Yeah, and the Chinese. Chinese. Well, that's... Yeah, is that just credit? Or I actually don't have... I'm not an economist. You you should have economists on this. Yeah. God, I have a a friend who's... Don't say that because my dad will... Oh, if you can recommend... I just... I actually... Yeah, I can recommend somebody (laughs) who who can really... Oh, he's a lecturer at UCLA, and he would be really great for these sorts of things. Because he's he's really um, very knowledgeable about sort of the... um, the realities of that, yeah. right? Which I am not. You know, yeah. I can say these things, but actually, they're kind of half conjecture. Yeah, no, <laughs> and that's that's maybe more the point of the right, show, right? <laughs> mm. Well, but like getting back to a little bit of the arc that I was. Um, yeah, go ahead. Go yeah, ahead. like trying to follow. So, so like I think we kind of left it like we have these pretty mainstream, well, just sort of a zeitgeist that's misunderstanding the frameworks yes. of what's going on. Yeah. And we have kind of like uh, an infrastructure that has certain bias in it, some of them very good, like this idea um, Douglas Rushkoff talks about, like the, the idea of social media is kind of absurd because he says actually the internet is already a social medium. Yeah. You don't need this contrivance, money-making, yeah. advertising monster to help people connect on the internet. That's actually what the internet originally is and can be without any difficulty there's this weird irony where we went away from AOL and now we're going back to that kind of like yeah yeah, and he actually says like these various crashes like the dot com crash and these various crashes are actually the internet like trying to throw fleas off of it which are these like commercial um, appropriations of something that is I mean he he gets really crazy I don't know if I it would take me a second to find the quote but he says it's basically like um contact is the it's right here uh, uh, he goes on to say uh, that content is not the message the contact is so it's not actually the data that is the important thing on the internet I think this is really an interesting thought um, the ping itself so he writes this in sort of a weird way the content is not the message the contact is the ping itself it's the synaptic transmission of an organism trying to wake itself up. Now, I think we should just leave that there and mm. actually not go into that. Mm-hmm. But, but it's sort of an interesting idea. Mm-hmm. I mean, this goes back to like Chartan, the newosphere, and this idea of like a collective consciousness, yeah. and maybe a kind of singularity as well. But, yeah. but um, that's not really um, well the, the line of research that I can bring before us today. Um, so where were we? We were kind of at like this misconception mm-hmm. and also this idea of siren servers. So radiating risk and taking all the revenue. So that would be kind of, I think, a good place to pick back up. So this is what um, Geraldine Lanier kind of talks about. And I'm going to read another quote of his. Um, and it also pertains to art, which is sort of, you know, relates to both of us as well yes. in a certain way or creative output, you could say. Occasionally, the rich embrace an, embrace a new token and drive up its value. The fine art market is a great example. Expensive art is essentially a private form of currency traded among the very rich. The better the artist is at making art that can function that way, the more valuable the art will become. A related trend in our times is the trove of dossiers on private lives and inner beings of ordinary people, collected over digital networks. 
are packaged into new private forms of elite money. The actual data in these shroves need not be valid. In fact, it might be better that it is not valid, because actual knowledge brings liabilities. This is kind of interesting. So this is where I want to pick up kind of this idea of, like, we're all being stolen from Mm -hmm. right now. And this idea that we need to start thinking about something that Lanier calls humanistic computing. So let's, like, talk about this idea of people being really excited by, um, like, YouTube, right, as Mm -hmm. a form of making income. Yeah. Right? And so basically what he says is you can think of YouTube as this siren server, right? This Mm -hmm. thing that draws us all to it. It's so big. It has such a broad reach. It is sort of the conduit for, like, certain video information. And it's the subdivision of Google, too. And it's part of Google. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we can call YouTube, like, this siren server. And basically what this siren server does is it has all these... Siren because it calls Siren because it just draws everything to it, like a lamp to the moth or like Ulysses' crew to the rocks. You know, it just... You're sort of... As opposed to the server on which my website is on. (laughs) Which doesn't draw... Yeah, you have not become... You're you're like maybe sort of still a wannabe Siren server. And actually, in a lot of ways, you're in a better place. No, okay. So because we can talk about this, a wannabe Siren server might enjoy honest access to data at first as if it were invisibly, uh, uh, an invisible observer. Sorry, there's some typos as That's I transcribe right. these because I type If you want to reread that, I, I, don't can, look I can edit it. Okay, yeah. Or, um, yeah, I better not have you read it because my transcribing is bad. But it's okay. I'll just sound a little dyslexic, which is how I sound. Yeah. Um, a wannabe siren server might enjoy honest access to data at first, as if it were an invisible observer. But if it becomes successful enough to become a real siren server, this is something that draws a lot of attention to it, essentially. Then everything changes. A tide of manipulation rises, and the data gathered becomes suspect. If the server is based on reviews, many of them will suddenly start to be fakes. If it is based on people trying to be popular, then suddenly there will be fictitious fawning multitudes inflating illusions of popularity. If the server is trying to identify the most creditworthy or datable individuals, expect the profile of those individuals to be mostly phony. Such illusions might be erected by clever third parties trying to get some small personal advantage out of the online world. <laughs> so we're in these really interesting times, right? Yeah. And and so we have this YouTube, and so people are you know, putting all this content on YouTube. And you can learn to um, tie just about any sort of knot in the history of knotting on YouTube, right? In, like, such a really great way. Like, there's a live video of somebody... It's almost like the... Yeah, it's almost <laughs> like an oratory tradition, right? Yeah. Uh, but it's uh, dislocated. You know, suddenly this knowledge that exists totally dislocated from your location is available to you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you don't there's need value someone, in that. Yeah, there's you don't need really someone tr- in your town. Yeah, to there's like there's actually tremendous yeah. value in that. There's all this information and knowledge passing between parties, um, and so what Lanier says is one of the real huge problems and why we are headed towards basically a giant economic collapse if we keep going on this route, is that Google is taking all the profit of that information being created. Yeah. People are spending, and you know, then people are saying, well, but people make money off of YouTube. 
the amount of people that make money are so minuscule to the amount of content being put on there that it's yeah. not an effective way to talk about a new economy. Yeah, no, and they're de demonetizing you know? a lot of videos anyway because they don't want to have anything too political or anything like that. Because right? they don't need to pay people if yeah. they don't absolutely yeah. need to, and yeah, they'll exactly. find ways to try. And they, they do need this token, like a casino, right? A casino needs the image of the person who won... Uh, you know, $400,000 that night. They need yeah. that image. But the reality is, for the casino to exist, everybody has to go in there and lose money. Yeah. It's the same thing with the lottery, right? Yeah. You know, you're like, oh my God, $230 million, that would be good. But the it's reality a... is, you're going to go spend money on the lottery. Yeah. You're going to go give money to the lottery. So with, with YouTube and Instagram and all these things, yeah, there are a couple token winners, uh -huh. right? And as he says, some of them maybe even want to be siren servers that aren't even real. Like mm. that person isn't even a real winner. There's some sort of weird scaffold bricolage of like um, bots and who knows what. Yeah. I mean, you see this on Instagram all the time, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Where it's like, that surely can't be a real person commenting on the fact that my mother just died with like three thumbs up or what, yeah. you know, whatever. It's like totally out of <laughs> cool, context. <man. laughs> yeah. Like, oh, okay, I'll just, just send this bot out there and they'll just do stuff on people's pages and I'll get followers. Yeah. You know, so, um, so there's this real tremendous asymmetry and there's this revenue that's just going to the top. And basically, for an economy to function, you need it to be like a bell curve. You need most of the wealth to be in the middle class. Yeah. That's why America is so rich, yeah. is because, uh, you know, post-1929, essentially, there was this levying of saying, okay, we need these levies to protect the middle class. Yeah. We need to, like, let wealth transfer among this. And this is where an economy is really functional. Yeah, and right. that's when I started to learn that uh, during that period, especially right after the Second World War, mm -hmm. the yeah. whole world was democratic socialist. Like, yeah, there was the, the, the yeah, whole... nothing like sixty million people being destroyed <laughs> by like yeah. just insanity. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, so a lot of this thinking that this neoliberal thinking I've discovered mm -hmm. uh, through doing the mm -hmm. show mm -hmm. comes from like the nineteen seventies, where a whole generation had forgotten. Right, <laughs> right. They got, they and then they were like, like hey, these ideas misconceived are great. <laughs> of the actual, yeah. yeah. And so then they, oh, that's then, made sense. then they made the open, flexible labor market, right. which is, this is all from the And then you start eroding these yeah. levies that yes. have sort of been created yeah. and then, for the middle class. And there was yeah. this argument that was um, just people saying like, oh, deindustrialization is right. going to happen if we don't make the market, the, the labor market flexible. Right. And that now is just such a comical notion. <laughs> right. And we need to suppress wages to yeah. keep cost of goods down yeah, and exactly. all these sort of like, uh, decisions that ultimately like hollow out an economy, yeah, exactly. you know, and then you start just like liberally applying a ton of credit to keep things, to keep like as a grease, right? Yeah. Because no, credit totally. is just like this grease. If you don't have grease in the bearings, they seize. But it's not, you know, 
necessarily like going to work <laughs> We've never sat down for like a conversation like this where you're describing something to yeah. me, and I really enjoy the analogies. Oh, cool. Especially <laughs> well, they're totally off the cuff. So well, the, the, the sperm <laughs> into the cow one was the one where I was like, does he think I'm falling asleep in class? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I just think it's a good, uh, you know. No, it was. It, I totally way of describing it. how I think Google and Facebook think of um, supplant or you know implanting ideas yeah. into people's like well one of the things that's ca- that 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 um, another a recent uh, thing that I heard about that is relevant to this conversation is this mm-hmm. guy Peter Diamandis is saying that um, once nanotechnology reaches a certain point mm-hmm. that it can self replicate mm-hmm. uh, phones will just be free. Mm-hmm. Because without you having a phone, mm-hmm. I can't sell you shit or right. I can't collect your data. And this is, this is also one of the things where I would say, like, Catherine Hale's matter has to be embodied. Phones are made of matter. Like, yeah. there are costs. Printers are made of matter. And ideas. Yeah. And, like, people who generate ideas need to be compensated. So now we can get into kind of the humanistic computing a little yeah. bit. Okay. Where where it's this idea that like okay so we have things like Google and we have things like Facebook and we have things like um, you know any of these other aggregators right uh-huh. that are like basically saying okay here is all this information and um, you're basically not going to get paid for any of it we're going to make all the money off of it and we'll give a couple token winners. Yeah. Like the casino. So there's this uh, there's this draw like, oh, I should keep contributing to this because maybe I'll make it and be comfortable and I'll survive. Yeah. You know, because as you drive like through downtown Los Angeles, you're like, oh, geez, I better just keep playing this game. I don't want to end up on the streets. Right. Well, and then that ends up also demonetizing other, like the, the industry as a whole, right? Because now Netflix. <sighs> yeah, has to it, no, YouTube. it's really fucked up. And there's yeah. a there's a really great quote that I would love to read right now. Um, that's the Rushkoff part. It's in Lanier. You know, so this is basically talking about the the inequity of the monetary flow of what's going on right now. One example is investors are perfectly confident to value a siren server a.k.a. Facebook, Google, um, that accumulates data about people in the tens of billions of dollars. We're now probably in the hundreds of billions, but anyways. Um, No matter how remote the possibility of an actual business plan, other than just advertising, right, that would make a commensurate amount of profit. And yet, at the same time, these same investors can imagine that the people who are the sole source of what is so valuable can have any value. Okay, so this. So can you paraphrase that for me? So basically, it's saying Facebook, Google, you know, as we talked about with the Rolling Stone article, they're not actually the source of any of it. Yeah. Okay. They're just aggregating it. They're yeah. just aggregators. But they're um, getting all of the profit from yeah. the value of this information via V scaffolding advertising around it making yeah. all this money and then everybody has to advertise there because it's where everybody's eyes are and you know newspapers are going out of business left and right mom and pop stores are going uh, out of business left and right and you have um just an unprecedented um concentration of wealth like an example would be Kodak, right? Uh-huh. How people shared family memories prior to Instagram was through 
or maybe, you know, back in the 80s or something. It was kind of through, like, Polaroids and yeah. pictures, right? Yeah. And Kodak was a company that had hundreds Even of thousands 90s, yeah. of employees, right? When Instagram was sold to Facebook, it had nine employees. Yeah. You know, so you're just, you're talking about something that's just really quite unprecedented in yeah. that wealth concentration. And the idea that if, if all this information is of value... We have to figure out a way to monetize it and give the money back to the people who are producing it yeah. or part of it. Yeah, yeah. So he uses the example of like um, artificial intelligence, right? And let's just look at one of the things that artificial intelligence is being used to do right now. It's called language translation, right? Google mm -hmm. Translate mm -hmm. is an AI. So basically what Google Translate does, Google has no idea how to speak any language yeah it, there's no machine that speaks a language right now yeah you know there are machines that kind kind of pretend to speak a language but they don't what they do is they take an enormous amount of data from people who are doing translations from translators who have you know taken it to themselves to translate some text uh -huh. and they compare it and they try to kind of like make some sort of contextualization of these different snippets and how language works. So they're making all this data from people who do speak two languages. Yeah, and are doing the work yes. of translating. And are doing the work of translating, who previously had jobs as translators, yeah. doing memos. So now some company is like, well, we don't really need Google. We don't really need to hire a translator because we don't need like a perfect translation. Let's just use Google. Yeah. Well, the reality is you're actually using translators still. Yeah. You're just getting it through a different um, conduit. Now it's coming through Google. Whereas and are those are those? Is it safe to assume that those people do, that that translation is coming from didn't get paid, or can we? It would it be like an, well, uh, there are things called like Mechanical Turk, right? Uh -huh. which are these things that like Amazon does where you can sign up for it and they will just give you tasks that AI can't do. And they'll pay you, you know, piecework, like bricklaying. Here's 25 cents for every sentence you translate or something okay. like that. So there are forms where it's monetized, but the vast majority of it is just bots crawling the web, okay. finding content, and then using these super powerful computers and these techno elites, you know, these very intelligent programmers to um, figure out ways to kind of like deliver this yeah. as a service. Right. But the fundamental problem with what's going on is the people who are providing the content for the quote unquote artificial intelligence, which you could say is actually just a new conduit for human intelligence yeah. that's being repackaged. Aggregator. It's a new aggregator. Yeah. I mean, that is the perfect word. I, yeah. I hate to keep repeating. No, no, no. no. I just wanted but to say right, to what you were but saying. But it's the right yeah, word yeah, for yeah. it. Yeah. It's a new aggregator for all this. Um, creative, you could say, production yeah. of human beings, where they are now completely cut out of the revenue stream, and mm -hmm. it goes entirely to Google. So that's where the, the, the sort of siren uh, term that Lanier uses is, that yeah. like, it just sort of sucks in all of these things, and it's destructive, ultimately. Yeah, yeah. Like, you sail your boat into the rocks, uh, it's not great for your traveling potential. Um, so... You know, what he starts to talk about is that we need to, 
And one of the ways that this happens is because going back to the very beginning of the conversation, the Ted Nelson, that we don't have a provenance for information mm. within the hardware or within the software, actually. It's more of a software thing okay. of the Internet, right? That there isn't a genetic code for information. Right. So that so that when Google does this translation, it doesn't have to tell you where these translations are coming from okay. and how it's making it. I mean, I'm sure that would look like picking up a tangled fishing net. Yeah. And would be pretty incoherent. But there would still be yeah. that'd still be information that led to sources and such. Uh -huh. So that's sort of one of the fundamental problems that we have with the software that we have created. Um, the other one is that this sort of stuff happens in economics all the time. Think of a mortgage, mm -hmm. right? Somebody takes out a mortgage, right? And now the bank repackages and sells that mortgage, and then that's repackaged, and it's resold, mm -hmm. and it's all the, And there's all this wealth being generated, but the person who is providing the capital gets zero profit of that. from all of the... Um, we manipulations all these financial manipulations yeah. that go on so he says basically what we need to start doing is we need to start um making an honest economy yeah. like if a banker is going to resell a mortgage 10 times and make a ton of money the person who provides the capital that makes that mortgage be anything needs a cut yeah and he's like that would do two things first of all it would start to create a middle class again in this country yeah. and second of all it would um r retard the ridiculous insane repackaging of mortgages that caused the 2008 crisis yeah. because if every time they had to pay a fee for doing this they wouldn't get so nuts about it yes you know well, that's because actually interesting. That's the second time I hear about this because I think that um, it, uh, in terms of universal basic income, mm -hmm. uh, in her book, mm -hmm. uh, Hillary Clinton talked like the What Happened book. She mm -hmm. talked about how she was like considering doing something sort of how what Alaska has to redistribute. Uh, like the resource kind of subsidies? Yeah, resource yeah. subsidies mm -hmm. that they have mm -hmm. for oil in Alaska. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. doing something like that. And, she, and then she proposed, the, or she had considered for the mm -hmm. campaign, the idea of a financial transaction tax, mm -hmm. which is basically what you're talking about. Well, sort of, but the financial transaction tax would go to the government, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And he's that, saying, actually, it should go to the to person who's, yeah. per, who's, who's um, generating the capital, yeah. Yeah, who like instead of the government provided it. Yeah. Yeah, provided so instead of the going information. Like you could say it's information at this point, right? Yeah. So that like the source of the information gets a cut of all of the leveraging of that information. But how so but then my question is would that be the the person that gets the mortgage because is it capital or is it uh, debt. It would be... Or is it capital because tons. it's the promise of it capital? Well, I think that's what capitalism is, right? Is the promise that there will be more capital tomorrow okay. than there is today. 
Okay. That's why we give out loans, right? Okay. And that's why people pay interest on loans. The right. idea that tomorrow will be so, more okay. profitable so, yeah. than today, i.e. I can lend them this money and that money will be worth more in the future. They can pay me interest. Yeah. It's a belief in the future. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's a belief in that I think fundamentally technology and whatever activities of creation that humans do will uh, generate more wealth than is destroyed. Yeah. Right? So that's why a bank will give a loan with interest. If tomorrow was going to be poorer than today, then why would you um, take out money with interest? You know? Yeah, but as a consumer, you, you sort of, well, as the, as the system works now, you tend to think of a debt from the perspective of the person taking on the debt as, mm-hmm. as not providing capital, which, or, or, but as taking on liability. Mm-hmm. But you are providing capital, is what you're saying. By, yeah. by, by, paying, by paying that, yeah. By paying, yeah, and interest. That, that, by paying and, interest. Yeah. And then that interest through the financial manipulations, which are getting rather abstract. And but then like, how, does th- how does that affect the initial capital then if you start to... Oh, I probably can't answer okay. that. No, no, no. Know, and that's I mean, fine. That, that's, You're more than... The nuts and bolts of yeah, economics is like I'm just, just totally beyond yeah, yeah. me. I, but I, but I think the basic terms. concept, like if we just pull back and... I mean, tons of details to work out, yeah, right? Yeah. With this like idea of humanistic computing. Mm-hmm. But I think just like it's helpful when exploring new terrain to say, okay, we're going to set this as a compass bearing. Right. And I think basically what Lanier is saying is like when people provide information and we can think of money as basically information now, because that's, that's essentially what it is, Mm -hmm. right? It's information tied to an obligation of some sort and some accountability. When people provide that, and a system uses it for enormous amounts of profit and cuts them out of the profit, we have a suicidal economy. Because what will eventually happen is there will be no no wealth in the middle and there will be complete collapse. And then, and, and Rushkoff actually talks about this in an article. I can't remember the name of the article, but he's, he's hired to go to a conference of these like, sort of billionaire techno elites, right? Mm-hmm. And he's like, okay, so I think I'm going in the green room to get ready to go on stage and give my spiel. He's like, no, instead I'm at a table with 10 dudes. And they're basically saying, okay, when... When money has no value, how do we keep our little private military protecting us? When the apocalypse occurs, like, can we use, um, like, obedience collars that we put on them to shock them? I mean, I am not kidding. And he's like, oh, my God. He's like, they're planning for a complete collapse, these guys. They're getting ready. Yeah, they're thinking about, like, end days. Because they know what they're doing is going to lead to that. So he sort of steps in and is like, well, that hasn't happened yet if i were you i would treat these guys like their family so they learn to love you and that there's this reciprocity and he's like actually i wouldn't stop with just your armed guards i would try to think of society in the same way and you know it's so hilarious but, how outside of the reality but the, the the you notion realize of compassion they're 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 insane they're yeah, yeah. they're psychopaths no, they're, we have they're created maniacs and that's how they got where they are or, or they've become that way or they've that's the well, dominant no, programming that they have to run to be where they are. There's they may not even be that. 
there's definitely they a, just... lot of, a lot of uh, talk, especially in the uh, mm-hmm. in the true crime world, that this a lot of the same, like that serial killers and CEOs have a lot of uh, similarities. Oh that, uh, yeah. Except uh, was it you that was telling me about the tests that they give to to candidates for these like high frequency trading things where they're like if no, you no that wasn't me tell me oh if, if basically they give them a psychological test and if like you turn out to have uh, scores in empathy that are like above a psychopath mm-hmm. they don't hire you yeah because they know you won't be able to do the job yeah like they need people who are willing to um institute activities that cause people to live on the streets in total misery which by the way is getting crazy in los angeles i i mean this is part of why i'm looking into these things because i'm like actually sometimes weeping when i get home because i drive through like my commute from my house to my studio is through skid row and like and i and i see just in the year that i've been there like the acceleration of it. Yeah, because you know? now all of the West Side is like that. You know, I mean, all, I haven't all the been bridges even on the over West there. Side. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. It's but yeah and, and there are people who are folding up business suits. Like, neatly. Like, these are people who are not drug addicts. They're not insane. They're working. These are yeah. like now a new class of the working homeless, yeah. which. The um, Is. Yeah, but this is, this is like. We've reached a level of moral bankruptcy and, like, almost a spiritual death in terms of how the culture is architecturing itself that I am, like, you know, this is where I think, like, Lanier, some of these crazy idealistic ideas, like, if we do not take them seriously and if if we do not say, okay, yeah, there are tons of details that are going to be really hard to work out and it's not going to be perfect, but we have to reorganize this shit. There is not an alternative unless we want to have um, super elites with shock collars around guys with machine guns uh, keeping us from getting food or something. I mean, (laughs) it it literally (laughs) kind of starts to feel uh, like we're we're facing, um, you know, a a cultural death, at least, you know, at least a death of culture. You know, you you still will have humans being kind of inventive and figuring out how to survive, and some will do better and some will do worse. But I don't think we need to go there yet. Yeah, I think there's still a lot of potential out there. Well, and there's such um, a naive sort of sense of like, uh, like when I'm kind of glad that Elon Musk is sort of losing his sheen. Because oh, yes. because these these uh, technocratic elites are pretty dangerous and but they still yeah. have yeah. this sheen of like uh, innovative and like you, you know there's they're they're sort of uh, the liberal sort of um, uh, powerhouse mm-hmm. right and and obviously like on the show I talk a lot about how there's Wall Street there's the healthcare industry and yeah. there are all these major industries that mm-hmm. have their own um, driving uh, ideologies, right? mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. it's interesting. And it's sort of feudal, right? In yeah, it's very feudal. And, yeah, and, yeah. And, and not futile. Feudal, <laughs> feudal as, in, like, as in feudal system. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah as in yeah. yeah. Uh, but it does feel feudal sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it's well. Yeah, one yeah. begets the other in a way. Yeah. Right. So there's kind of like here. Here's what I think. 
would be nice. And it, it's kind of related to that idea that like we're we're in this sort of era where we are we're feeling sort of these synaptic pings of some sort of um, something larger than ourselves starting to awaken. And at the same time, it feels like that's kind of being exploited by a techno elite and also by ourselves, how we are um, choosing to try to survive in an unjust system, right? Oh, yeah. Like this idea that I will, I will attempt to survive, and by doing so, I may be okay, even though I know the system is really corrupted. Yes. And, and so I think there are like a couple ideas here. One of them is this idea of information having a genealogy and information being of value and that that value finds the creator Mm -hmm. not just the aggregator that it doesn't just stop at the aggregator that goes to the creator (laughs) i basically i just realized that you're saying that that this whole thing is about how everybody's getting fucked the way artists have been getting fucked for their content that's kind (laughs) of you know it's actually sort of interesting that click for you you know oh yeah no when you said (laughs) that i just it just made so much sense no it's really shit it's really true and there's this wonderful quote that i have um from Jaron Lanier that, that talks about that. And it's basically, um, here it is, I found it. The idea, the very idea that our world is constructed in such a way that a lifetime contributions of hardworking, creative people can be forgotten, that they can be sent perpetually back to the starting gate is a deep injustice. And that is now happening to so, so many people. Yeah. And so, you know, Ruzhkov sort of, sort of says like this is this is one of the things that we need to start to think about is the industrial age challenged us to rethink the limits of the human mind where does my body end and the tool begin this idea that like tools are actually a prosthesis and that you can impose will now on scales that are totally beyond the human output the human body's output so he says The digital age challenges us to rethink the limits of the human mind. What are the boundaries of my cognition? And while machines once replaced and absorbed the value of human labor, computers and networks do more than absorb the value of human thought. They not only copy our intellectual processes, our repeatable programs, but they also discourage our more complex processes, our higher order cognition, contemplation, innovation, and meaning making that should be the reward of outsourcing our arithmetic to silicon chips in the first place. You know, so this idea that like we can't optimize humans to computers and to the profit of the very few, that we have to start rethinking how we're ordering this system and i think one of the um things that i fear in the universal basic income it it's sort of this lie that's saying oh well you now are meaningless because yes. all these ais are stepping in and creating all of this all these services that have um, previously been cognitive human services and what lanier is saying is it's total Bullshit. That's amazing. It's just absolutely re-aggregating all of our collective production on the internet yeah. and calling it AI, which mm-hmm. is just big data. 
Whoa. It's just big data and big computational processing that all what actually AI absolutely needs is people providing content. Yes. And without that, AI does nothing. So he says this That's idea incredible. of universal basic income is absolutely um, a misconception of how AI works and how uh, machine cognition works at this point. So, okay, first so of all... So that's maybe a good place to start to wrap it up. No, but first of all, that is like so... Fucking on, major, right? No, but it's so it's so on point for this show because this yeah. is, these are like... we I, I've talked about these things before yeah. in very different terms and, mm-hmm. and to hear this perspective on yeah just the idea that it is bullshit that the idea of because that is it the may narrative. not be bullshit but it's but it, there's a misconception that people are irrelevant yes they're yeah. not no and and, and they, i really appreciate yeah, that yeah for starters but also yeah i um i feel like this is a little bit more immediate and it, it, it's a little bit more of a discussion about what can be done instead of this passive thing that's been happen that's going to happen to right. us right? right where it's like yeah. where it's like well how can we break this argument down and and just the that that idea like you said it's fucking major the idea that it's really major I, I'm really uh, first of all I really appreciate you coming on the show secondly I really appreciate you bringing that idea on the show because mm. that's something I'm definitely gonna yeah uh, integrate into my uh, worldview <laughs> well yeah yeah well and thank you for inviting me it's really no, it's but, nice to be here and but, do this dude this has been awesome like yeah, we, yeah I'll definitely have you back on oh cool uh, yeah, yeah. yeah um yeah. But and 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 not in a doing homework capacity, but also as just like someone to bounce my some of yeah. some of the things that I research on. Yeah, and ultimately that's uh, that's why we need each other <laughs> yeah. to to kind of like yeah, yeah. continue to grow and, yeah and absolutely form more complex conceptions of reality. Yeah, no, but that that that's amazing. It, it's it, it's uh, and I'm and I'm really glad that um, you know. I think that what it what I like about doing the podcast is that sometimes things come up, especially in mm-hmm. this conversation, mm-hmm. that yeah. I could refer to things that I've already talked about on yeah. this podcast. Yeah. But because I've already talked to them, I actually listen a little bit better. Instead, of, if mm-hmm. this was a conversation at a bar, be like it would be a very different dynamic where I'm right. like, oh yeah, and this, you know. Yeah. But like I like this format where you just yeah. came in and you're just like, hey. All this stuff, and I was like, "Oh, yeah. I know about that," and, but I didn't say anything. I know about that. Yeah. Oh, oh, that 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 relates to this idea, and that relates to this idea. But this last fucking—that's a very good closer, I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think it's also this idea that um, people matter tremendously, yeah. yes. and that technology is actually—if we tr- attempt to replace uh, people with technology, we die. Yeah. You know, that yeah, we yeah. need to remember that we are the, that we are optimizing machines to humans, not humans to machines. Yes. You know, this idea of Rushkoff and Lanier and all of this. I mean, it sort of boils down to um, a, a, a sort of an honesty yeah, of yeah. it. And um, yeah, and, and trying to figure out how to uh, wrest kind of power from those who have grown extremely powerful yeah and are going to be uncomfortable with giving their power away, away. yeah after they've gotten it well know? it is so interesting to sort of just like going back to just that facebook thing i mean mm-hmm. I, these are sort of the first times that we're having these conversations as a society mm-hmm. i think mm-hmm. in general yeah and then to see this generation of boomer <laughs> congress people yeah that don't fucking understand you know and and like 
It, well, and even some of our cultural critics. Yes, are, absolutely. Are, I mean, and, and you and I, like nobody actually understands. And Lanier and Rushkoff and Flusser. I yeah. mean, all these like people who have thought. Because it's happening very to us. deeply. We can't, ref- we can't look back on it. It's yeah. the reflexiveness yeah. of it. It's yeah. that the machines are now actually thinking us because they're part of the neural network. Yeah. So that we are, we are feeding the machines information, but by their nature, they are thinking the neural network as well. So you're, you're ending up with this very um, kind of con- confused conception of reality. But there are some things that are clear clear like yeah. how ai actually works is kind of clear at this point yeah like it is actually just a massive aggregation of all of this human production yeah that gets just repackaged into this quite neat and very uh, kind of autonomous sort you know well i guess it's not autonomous but just inhuman source right yeah. you know google it's google's you know whatever the uh terminal that you arrive at but that it comes from people cool man you know well that was fucking awesome thank cool. you very much yeah thank you very yeah much well thank you by. it's <laughs> great yeah and it's good because it's i'm i have to write an article uh in an arts uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. journal yeah definitely. and um what's uh, what's the what's the arts it, journal? it's called vasari 21 so um and landy who is a art critic for uh art news and the wall street journal and has been in the art criticism business for many decades in new york um kind of got fed up with like how basically art criticism has just become a scaffold for advertisements yeah. and just the sort of business um influences on art criticism and and has said you know there's all this creative production out there that deserves um to be published yeah. and to be seen so she just created um what she calls vasari 21 cool and it's basically based on trying to help working artists that's awesome you know navigate um various concerns contemporary concerns within it so yeah i'm trying to write an article which i think you know would might be expected to be like a manual on how to navigate social media and is instead going to be like a really intense criticism of it. But, oh, well, I think well, you got to call a spade a spade at some point, right? No, and well, I a, think, I mean, I think... Uh, and not a flying carpet. There's more, more than enough uh, guides on how to use social media. Yeah, and, and honestly, like that idea that you're exploiting social media is... Um, secondary to the idea that you're being exploited by the platform and there's just there's no escaping that even if you get successful you're never going to be as successful as zuckerberg yeah no matter what you do on facebook yeah and that's just the reality well you're always going to bring value to his platform yeah exactly he's going to get more value from your contribution than you will and that's just you know and most people get no value from but, their contribution but i do also like that you have a bit of an optimistic well i mean you know what because i don't want to die i don't want to like kill, go home and kill myself tonight okay. right <laughs> you know i, I mean no but like i do a think a couple that, more days before i do it but this is the first time <laughs> this is the first time at least on this show that in mm-hmm. this discussion mm-hmm. someone has presented and and and, and like the, the most optimistic thing was when Molly said she didn't believe that the singularity was going to happen. And I was like, oh, shit, that's also possible. And I had forgotten that. That is possible, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. But you get so, so caught up in this. But this is the first time within the discussion of this 
that uh, that someone says like, well, humanity's still gonna have value, and we can't just throw it away. Yeah. Whereas like everything is a little bit more like, oh, what it the angle that I've approached it from has been more from mm -hmm. an idea of like well, what is it going to mean to be human when the singularity happens? Whereas you're just basically saying that, like, the notions of where AI are now yeah. are very bullshit because it really isn't... Well, they're... they're it's not they're machine carefully learning. They're carefully described to not uh, have to uh, pay people who yeah. are actually doing the work. Yes. You know, it's they don't want to say what AI actually is because it would bring up all these issues of theft. Yeah. Because they're looking at these data sets. Yeah. And, and they're getting away with it because Ted Nelson uh, was ignored. Because he said, God, this is so important. You cannot do this. And, without, and he, saw, and he saw it as like this fundamental, unbelievable mistake that was yeah. made. And I, and, I think, and I think Lanier agrees. He's like, this is one of the great visionaries who business and culture totally ignored. Wow. And that we fundamentally made a mistake that information needs, information has a genesis, thus it has a genetic code. Yeah. And if you ignore that genetic code, you, all kinds of misconceptions can, can arise. And that's sort of, I think, why everybody's like, fake news? Reality? What's oh. going on? You know, because there's all this huge amounts of information yeah. on neural network, which we have no idea where it came from. I mean, imagine the election in 2016, if all of those information had a genetic code and you were like, oh, Russian hacking farm, maybe I shouldn't listen to that. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, like even your right wing gun nut toting guy who like the message might have sort of appealed to would be like, whoa, red tide, man, that's not good. Yeah. You know, there's still enough Cold War. <laughs> bigotry <laughs> so, Jesus. I, 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 anyway I did, now we're going off like i'm going well off i the did a thing end. on the atomic age which yeah. was which which was uh exhausting yeah in, in terms of like recognizing like because i'm cuban right so mm. it puts me oh, culturally yeah. in a really interesting place within that conflict yeah where yeah, I, there's an episode that I had a friend who's an immigration lawyer, and, mm -hmm. and we talked a little bit about how Cubans are the only ones that have ever been allowed into the country with mm -hmm. open borders and shit like mm -hmm. that, and it's mm -hmm. and, and and like they're the most Republican counter to of what people think of Latin people politicians. Right, right, right. But we're actually not even Latin; we're Caribbean. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. Anyway. Thank you so cool. much for being on the show. Oh, I think well, we thank you, Javier. Right I there. appreciate it. No, yeah. not at all, dude. I yeah. really appreciate all the work that you've done. I really think it's going to be an awesome article. Do you have anything you'd like to plug? You have a show. This is probably not going to come until come out until the third week of August. I have a I have a tightrope walking clinic on the twenty. Um, I believe it's the twenty fourth or twenty fifth. The Saturday. Okay. Is it and is the twenty fourth the Saturday? I would in August. So I didn't come prepared for that, but oh, I could look at a. I I can repair. Well, let me look at a calendar real quick. I can definitely plug it for you when the week before, because I'm going to be reading the. Um, okay. Yeah. The events. Yeah. So I'll just be like, you know, learning to walk that narrowing ground. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> Essentially, right? You know, where we we start to feel like there's a precipice on each side that you can just slide down and and get angry. All right. But Enough with your analogies. <laughs> <me out. laughs> 
<laughs> Thanks, Javier. <laughs> no All problem. Right, bye. <laughs> All right, cool, man. That shit was fucking great, dude. Yeah, that was super...